as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, as we continue our series, Here is the Church. This morning we will be looking at church leadership as God has intended it to be. When I was just four years old, I had my first ever ride in a cop car. It was like, it was like the perfect day. It really was, uh, I would say, probably the perfect day. Later on, I was told that I described that day start this way. I, I just went a walking with Barney. Uh, Barney was uh, our, our dog, uh, a beagle mix mutt uh, that wound up living 15 years. At the time, he was four too. So for my first 15 years, I had the privilege of knowing and, and loving Barney. And we went a-walking that day. I think I was just curious where he went, so we kind of wandered away from home. I had my ukulele with me, they say. My ukulele, uh, an instrument I never would learn how to play or anything else like it. But what more could a boy want? I mean, I had my best friend Barney with me. I had music for the journey. I had the adventure. I got a ride in a cop car with my dog. I mean, that is about as good as it gets. Well, it was one of Buffalo's finest that day, uh, one of Buffalo's cops uh, who would have picked this little lost four-year-old up. I was meandering down the street with Barney. You know, when I look back on that, that's what good officers do. And that's what good leaders do. Good officers or good leaders, they look for those who are wandering. And as a matter of fact, many who are wandering may not even know that they've wandered from home. And they bring them back home. When I arrived home, the perfect day got even perfecter. <laughs> because it was there that when I got out of the cop car, my mom was... And with her arms spread wide open and tears in her eyes, I got the greatest welcome home hug a four-year-old could ever get. Apparently, a neighbor was there, and what I would learn to find out after studying the Bible, probably someone who'd be described like in Luke 15 as an older brother. And she was there, this neighbor was there, and she scolded my mother. She scolded her saying, that boy doesn't deserve a hug. That boy should be spanked on his bottom. But you know what good parents do? Good parents are so excited to see the wandering come back home that they can't help but give hugs and kisses to those who have wandered away but have returned back home. That was a perfect day. You see, you were created for home. You were. You were created for home. And I was created for home. Home to be with God, our Father. He created us in his image. He created us for himself. And, and when we wandered away from home, and the story of the Bible is that we are nothing but wanderers apart from him. When we wandered away from home, God would send his only begotten son, kind of like, like the big brother of the family. And he would come and he would seek after you and seek after me. And he would rescue us and he would rescue us from peril at the expense of his own peril. You see, that's what leaders do. That's what leaders do. Leaders bring the wandering home. And our heavenly father, well, he, he loves homecomings. Scripture says he's got more joy of homecomings than about anything else. He's got big hugs and Lots of wonderful embraces for wandering sons and daughters who have found their way home. And I know many of you know that because I know many of you have experienced that life-changing embrace by God's grace through faith when a loving God says, welcome home. This is a special day for Orangewood Church because we are looking at here is the church and we're looking at leadership. And as we focus on leadership, we got to focus on God because it's really, it's his leadership that we derive the pattern from leadership. We look to him to show us how do you lead? How do you love so that we can be extension of that? 
we realize that there is a God who loves to bring the wandering home. And what good news. And that's what we're called to do. Bring the wandering back home. Let's look to God's word as he exhorts us to shepherd the sheep and look for the lost and bring them home in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's actual words. So these words are ancient and old, but because they're inspired, they're, they're without error, and they'll never lead us astray. And because it's God's word, it's for you. It's for you today. It's for you now. And God, who, who wants you to find your home with him, wants to use his word to point you home. Let's hear God's word together. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. By the way, when you hear those words, don't you think, boy, that sounds like Joe Creech. And when the chief, chief, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Twice a year, I'm blessed to take a study week where I go away and I prepare for the next six months or so of sermons or outline the entire year. I have the great privilege of gathering around commentaries and books and most importantly, God's word and, and just saturate and soak. Isn't that a great job? Can you believe I get paid to do that? It's incredible. Well, this last week was one of my study weeks. I typically go in February. I typically go in August. And I, I try to have those series planned out. But there's one problem with me going on these. I go alone. And some of you would think, that sounds like paradise. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of a homebody. And I got to tell you, after about a day or two away, I'm lonely. The only people I talked to were in an elevator and those poor people, they're like, man, he's got a lot of words to use, doesn't he? <laughs> I get lonely, and, and I get needy, and I, I long for my family. I long for their companionship. But I want you to know, that's not the way it is with God. God didn't create us because he's lonely. And God didn't create us because he's needy. God created us to be family. You ready for this? Because he is so loving and so gracious that he has to share his love. And specifically, he has to share his love for his son with all of creation. That's why he created everything. He created everything, not because he's a needy and, and empty God. He created everything because he's a God who wanted to share with you the most glorious thing he could ever share, and that is the beauty and the work of his son. And that's why he shared for you and me. That's why he created us. That's why he created the world. It was to fill the world with his glory. But it was more than that. It was to fill the world with his family. It was more than that. It was so that you and I would find our place home with him. Do you know that it's always been God's desire to be with his people? It's amazing. That's the story of the Bible. And, and God raises up leaders to shepherd his people to him. That's why we're here. God calls leaders like Joe and me and other leaders and, and those lay leaders to knock down every obstacle that is in front of us that will keep us from knowing and loving God as Father, celebrating his Son as Savior, and being a part of the family. That's what leaders' jobs are to do. 
You got three things. First of this is God has always desired to shepherd his people. And that passage we read, we read that, that Joe and I and those shepherds, that we are under shepherds, that there's a chief shepherd, that God himself is the shepherd of his people. That's the story of the Bible. Think about it with me, just for just a moment. How does God's story start off? It starts off in a garden where God is with his people. He loved to dwell with his family. And although we rebelled and sinned, where was God when God's people were traveling through the desert? Where, where, where was God when they were out of Egypt heading to the promised land? He was with them. He said, I, I want to I be in a tent too. My people are in a tent wandering in the desert. Build me a tabernacle. I'll put my name there. I'll put my presence there. And when they got into the promised land, what did God say? I want to I be with my people. Build a temple. Build a temple so my name will be there. My spirit will be there. That, that when you walk into it, you'll feel like family. Like your home. And even through our sin and rebellion, God says, it's not enough. I'll send my son. And he, this will be the word of God made flesh. And he'll, he'll tabernacle among us. He'll, he'll pitch a tent with us so that we can know the father is father. That we could be home. It was not even enough for Jesus to come and live among us and live and die and be resurrected. He says, now I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that you will have the home right inside of you. That the Holy Spirit of God inside of you will remind you that God is for you and he loves you. And he wants to wrap his arms around you and remind you, you're home with me. I mean, what does Jesus say in John 14? It's incredible what a passage that says he is the way, he is the truth, that, that there's no other way to the Father except by him. It's in that chapter he says, I want you to know that I'm making a home for you. You see, God is a shepherd who loves his family in his presence. He loves to be home with his family. And, and listen, everything, anything that kept you away from God as father and family. He's dealt with it through Jesus Christ, his son, so that we could know him as shepherd. It's Psalm 23 where we see that Jesus is a God who shepherds and leads his people. He says in Psalm 23, one through three, that he would lead us, he would shepherd us into good places back home. It's a God who says in Ezekiel 34 who rescues his people, that he will rescue us. I love in Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament, God says, I want you to know myself, my very self, I'm going to go look for the lost. I'm going to go find them. I'm going to go rescue them. I'm going to bind them up. A promise that Jesus would come. And then it's in John 10. John 10, where you see that God is a shepherd who lays down his life for his people. He says, what kind of shepherd am I? I'm going to, I'm going to give up my very life so you can have life. So you can be home. God has always desired to shepherd his people. The second thing is this. God's leaders are to shepherd the flock of God. What do we do? We're to lead them home. That's, our, that's my job. I'm a tour guide. <laughs> I am just a glorified tour guide that, with, with a Bible that says, let me tell you something. There's a shepherd that loves you enough to die for you. There's a shepherd who's making a home for you. And there's this shepherd, life will be absolutely absent without him, but within, with him it will be abundant. I am nothing more than a tour guide that says, this is the way home. It's Jesus, follow him. Man, you're gonna, you're gonna get joy, you're gonna get life. Yeah, you get some suffering, but you wanna make it home, you wanna have joy, follow him. Lead them home. It says this to, to, to us, to Joe, to me, to the shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God. I love that. Not my flock. <laughs> you're not mine. I love you but you're his. And my whole job, Joe, your whole job, our elders, is just point them home. Knock down any obstacle that is in the way of them getting home. You see, what I do, what Joe does, what the pastors, the elders do, any leader, we're just the shadow of the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And it promises us in 1 Peter 5 that he's coming back. He's coming back to take us home. So we're just kind of standards. Just temporary standing saying, you know what? Jesus is coming back. And when he does, oh man, is it going to be glorious? Follow him. I love what Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what leaders do. Thirdly, God's people are to be subject to the leaders of God. It's interesting reading through scripture. It says that everything in creation, 
All of creation was made subject to Jesus. Basically says in scripture that Jesus, well, he is God in flesh. The fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. That everything was created by him and for him and through him. That he is the ultimate authority. Even in the Great Commission, you know, he, he will tell us to go into the, all the earth in baptizing and making disciples in his name because all authority has been given to him. And it's interesting what God says about authority, by the way. All authority has been established by him, even your pastors, the good ones and the not so good ones, on their good days and their bad days. God says there's not a leadership position that I haven't filled, Romans 13. Look it up. It's pretty humbling. He said that all authority is going to be established by me and all authority is for my glory. And as you submit to authority, you're submitting to Christ. That's kind of crazy, but that's what it says. That we honor him the way we honor our pastors. We honor our elders. We honor one another. We honor him. He says that we are to submit. You know, there's a story that he wants to tell through us. It's similar to our marriages. That's why he tells us husbands to love our wives. How? As Christ loved the church. And he tells our wives that we, they should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. Because authority is a reflection of who Jesus is. And that's never a power move. Jesus is always authority. is a loving, upbuilding authority. You see, our leadership needs to reflect this. As church leaderships, we're, we're just hired hands, glorified tour guides pointing you home because you were created for home. But you are also to respond to your leaders in a way that you realize that God has placed us here for you and your glory, for his glory, to be subject to them. And I don't know that officer's name that day in 1969 that I wandered from home in Buffalo, New York. I'll never know his name. But I'm awfully glad that he led Barney and me back home. But I do know, I do know the name of the officer. And by the way, his office is king. I do know the name of the leader, the good shepherd that led me to my heavenly home. His name is Jesus. And I didn't get a ride in his cop car. No, he carried me home through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And because of that reality, there's a hug waiting for me. A hug that a heavenly father will give. Not because I deserve it. I'm a wanderer. I deserve the spanking. But because of the older brother, Jesus. I get the Father's love to you. To you. Are you still wondering? There is a leader. His name is Jesus. He came to rescue you. There is a Father who wants to be your Father. And in Christ Jesus, our faith and hope in Him, we can truly live. Let us pray. Father, we look to you and you alone and your son and spirit for the model of leadership. It's always servant leadership. It's always leadership with love. And we thank you for that. And God, your grace is so marvelous that yes, we, we deserve, we've wandered away. We've, we've treated you like you don't exist. We've taken your stuff and we've squandered it. We've selfish. We deserve to be spanked, but you love us instead. And the only way you could do that and still be holy God is by placing our punishment on your son. So through his wounds, we could be healed. What an incredible, incredible God you are. And God, I thank you for that officer that I don't remember and I may never know that found Barney and me wandering away from home. I thank you that you chose him to rescue me. And I thank you for the reception I got when I got home. It was gospel soaked. But God, so much more importantly, I thank you for Jesus. 
who would come to seek the wandering, to knock down any obstacle in front of us to lead us home so that we too can feel the embrace of the Father. May we as leaders point to you and may we as followers honor you the way we lead those you've called into position. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, what we're gonna do uh, for the rest of our time, uh, we're going to actually have Joe's installation service now continue. Uh, I'm going to call Joe up here and I'm going to ask him some uh, questions, some vows that he will take uh, at that time after these questions. Our founding pastor and pastor emeritus, the one who hired Joe, um, Chuck Green will come and give him a charge. After his charge, I will come back and ask you, the congregation, some questions. And then Jim Cofield will give you a, a brief charge. Uh, then we'll have it laying on of hands of elders Uh, And Mike Ebert will close us in prayer there uh, then and we'll sing uh, and Joe will give us the benediction. Does that sound right to you, Jack? All right, sounds right to me too. All right, come on up, Joe. Joe, I'm gonna ask your whole family to come because uh, this has been a family affair. So come on up and stand behind uh, uh, Jose Creech, amigo. I've had the privilege of working on staff with Joe since April of 1992. What a joy it has been, and what a joy it is to now ask you these questions. Um, Joe, what, what, a, what a leader you have been proven to be. What a man of God. You've pointed me to Jesus so often. You know, Joe, it's just so easy for you to do the right thing. I, 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 I'm amazed. You don't talk badly about people. You love them. You are the aroma of Christ. You are a great pastor and a great friend. Joe, are you now willing to serve this congregation as their associate pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? Are you? Secondly, do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good news and the, and the, and the good of the church? And thirdly, do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of an associate pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements? Do you? Awesome. All right, Creech family, you guys can sit down. Joe and I were in seminary together, along with Carl Smith and Vaughn Stanley, two of our former assistant pastors. And when we got ready to graduate, uh, we were trying to sense where God was calling us. Uh, I came here to start uh, Orangewood. Carl Smith went to Macon, Georgia as a youth pastor. Vaughn Stanley went to Delray Beach as an assistant pastor. And Joe said he, um, he really was sensing a call to the mission field and to start a church. And that just sounded so noble until we heard where? Acapulco. <laughs> Eight years, they lived two blocks from the beach and had a full-time maid for a dollar a day. And they're sending support letters back here to the States. And we sent them money. <laughs> I'll never forget one support letter said, uh, please, it's so hot, summer, it's so hot. Please pray that God might provide a window air conditioning unit for us. Well, you know how fast that got provided. Actually, one of the men who was just on the missions trip last month said, it was so hot in Acapulco, I will never tease Joe about that window unit again. <laughs> well, through those years, God was blessing Orangewood, and we moved out of a storefront and moved into our first building on Trinity Woods Lane, and, and, and it was just a real exciting time for Orangewood. Uh, we were seeing people come to know Christ, and uh, lives change, and the school started, and everything, but there was a there was a missing piece to our vision. 
Our vision was to make disciples. Well, the Bible says, go into all the world and make disciples. And we were, we were doing okay locally, and we were, we'd started two daughter churches by then, and, and it was an exciting time, but there was something about that. Go into all the world. We really wanted to have a global vision. We wanted a global outreach, but we didn't know how to do it. But we knew a guy who did. So we contacted Joe and Rita, and I'll never forget, because they were so far away, we couldn't have them come and interview normally and fly them here and you know, let them look for houses and all that, wine them and dine them. We couldn't do that, so actually, we kind of convinced the elders to uh, trust us in this one, that this is the right guy and we need to do this. So, sure enough, they did. Then we had to, you know, convince Joe and Rita that this was God's uh, hand on their life. And, uh, and they came. I mean, they sold uh, whatever they could. Uh, they left the window unit, but they... Uh, <laughs> They sold whatever they could in Acapulco, and they moved here, and here, here they are on the very first Sunday. And uh, Joe, do you remember the first Sunday? Oh, good. Let me remind you. <laughs> the very first Sunday, as Joe, Joe and Reed are meeting everybody and, and the elders, it just happened to be communion. So all of the elders are sitting on the front row, and Joe was sitting uh, at the end of the row, having just met him all for the first time. And, and I'm, I'm preaching my heart out about the passion and the death of our Lord. And I looked down at the elders, and all the elders are giving me one of these. And I looked down at the end of the row, and there's Joe Creech sound asleep. <laughs> His head was in his chest. He was drooling. <laughs> and the elders wanting to encourage me in my sermon are all giving me a thumbs up. Nice job, Chuck. Nice selection. <laughs> oh, Jose was taking a little siesta. <laughs> he shows up the next day and uh, uh, in the office, okay, uh, uh, where's my office going to be? Well, Joe, we hadn't, you know, we hadn't, brought that up yet. Uh, Joe holds up his hand and says, I don't need much. I'm glad you're thinking like that, Joe. <laughs> On the back corner of our property, we had an old, well-used, single-wide trailer. And we had Joe set up his office in this single-wide trailer. And... Um, <laughs> And thankfully, we just hired Pete Alwinson uh, to start a church in Tuscawilla, Willow Creek. I hired him to go on our staff to do that. And we put Pete and Joe out there uh, with a window air conditioning unit. <laughs> Joe starts talking about how to form a, um, a real global um, mission. He said, we can do it one of two ways. We can invite missionaries who are on furlough to come here and, and we can, you know, send them money and that kind of thing. He said, but if we really want the congregation to catch fire, catch fire for the lost in other countries, we need to go and visit those countries. So he started to put together a few people to go on a missions trip and, and then they come back excited and what God's doing. And then next year, a few more, a few more. My friends, we have sent out from Orangewood 125 mission trips. 2,000 people have been on Orangewood mission trips. Now, that's a little bit misleading because some of those 2,000 have been counted several times as many of you have been several times. But that just shows you the strength of a mission trip. We've gone to uh, Japan and China and Israel, Italy, the Czech Republic. 
Honduras, Peru, Haiti, Mexico, different places in Mexico. And as we continue to catch fire to reach the lost in these places and really uh, seek to see lives changed, we started giving more money. And we have in the last, since 1986 and 28 years, counting our budgeted, what we budgeted to send, as well as non-budgeted, what some of you just wanted to give to a, a, a mission uh, project, but did it through the church, we have given $15 million. $15 million, 125 mission trips, 2,000 people. As impressive as those numbers are, they don't really measure the success of our missions program. Because what the missions program's results is that we have seen tens of thousands of people's lives changed. Thousands of people have come to know Christ. Uh, all, so many others have had their lives changed. We've had projects where we have... Um, uh, built, uh, built huts. We've had a medical clinic, a dental clinic, optometry clinics. Every Labor Day, we still do it. 25 years we've been doing a Labor Day trip, optometry. We've uh, uh, painted houses and churches and schools and dug ditches and done so many things, Play, uh, played and loved on the kids at, in Acapulco, the children's home there. And the church that Joe and Rita started there is thriving today. I wonder how many people, when we get to heaven, might say, you know, uh, my grandmother said that she was touched by some, somebody that uh, was from some church in Orlando, and she came to know the Lord, and then she uh, taught us, and we, we taught our children, and lo and behold, we're all here in heaven. You see, my friends, Joe didn't, uh, uh, Joe didn't lead all those mission trips. He didn't even go on all those mission trips. He didn't solicit all of that money, nor did he personally, individually, lead all those people to Christ. But the missions program of this church and the results and the fruit uh, that are being uh, reaped right now we're all because of the one man who started it. <laughs> Joe, this is a little bit uh, unusual to... Uh, install you uh, at this stage of your uh, ministry. Actually, this should have been done many years ago, probably under my watch. Um, I'm so thankful Jeff said it's never too late. Whenever uh, I'm called to give a charge to a young minister that's going in the ministry or pastor, I always look at uh, one verse and I charge him with 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, the bondservant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. As I looked at this verse this week and thinking about uh, what verse I might charge you with, Joe, I said, you actually embody this verse, Joe. What I have seen in all these years as you're, uh, that you've been a pastor. I mean, you look at the, the bondservant of the Lord. Joe's a humble man. He'd rather be in the background than in the foreground. He'd rather be doing ministry and, and pushing others up toward the front. He's a bondservant. 
Now imagine you're probably even a little embarrassed with this this morning, aren't you? But you're also enjoying it a little bit too, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you can repent of that later. <laughs> the bonds of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. Joe is not a quarrelsome man. He can disagree. He can disagree with passion. But he can also stand down. Able to teach. How many people have been affected by your teaching, Joe, through the years? Bible studies, Sunday school classes, discipleship groups, couple studies, sermons. Patient when wronged. If you're going to be a leader, especially a pastor, you're going to be wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, but letting God be the one that eventually vindicates you and changes their mind. So, Joe, I only want to add one word to another verse of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Joe, continue to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain for the Lord. May God bless you and Rita real good as you continue to labor amongst us for many years to come. Amen? Amen. What an incredible charge. Joe, you really are all that he said by God's grace. Chuck, wow, to be able to follow your footsteps, um, he's pretty good. And I just, something, something dawned on me today for the first time in 22 years. He gave me advice when I became uh, the senior pastor. He said, Jeff, don't let your humor be too big. Make sure that you kind of keep a, a governor on your humor because you don't want to get in front of the message. I realized today he wanted to be the funniest pastor ever at Orangewood. <laughs> and he just always wanted it. And you are, Chuck. I'm telling you, I can't come close. You're amazing. You're so gifted. Your mind, your, your heart, unbelievable. Great stuff as usual, Chuck. Wow. Uh, I'm humbled to be in his footsteps. And I wish I was half as funny as he is. Air conditioners. Okay. Now it's time for the congregation, for you to, uh, to take a charge uh, as well, to say, yes, we, we are going to honor the Lord as we submit to his leadership. So I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're a member of Orangewood, do you please stand? And let me ask you, I have four questions for you. Joe, oh, Joseph, I thought, yes, so you're not a member. You know, the crazy thing is, is an ordained pastor is not a member of the church. We're a member of Presbytery, but that's another story. Let me ask you. Do you, the people of this congregation, this blessed Orangewood congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Joseph L. Creech, whom you have called to be your associate pastor? Do you? Yes. Secondly, do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him and do exercise of discipline? Do you? Thirdly, do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual evocation? Do you? And lastly, do you engage to continue to him while he is your associate pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? Do you? All right, you may be seated. We have Jim Cofield to give a charge to us. Good morning. If you're a visitor here and you're thinking, they have three sermons every Sunday. <laughs> That's not the case. Usually it's four. And, uh, um, 13 years ago, I moved to Orlando. I was a junior professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, and I asked some people, who were the real deals in town? Because I've been battling with cynicism my whole life. I said, who were... Who are the real deals? Who are the people that, that, um, that are what they say they are? Or at least they're stumbling toward that. At least they're trying to become what they, they pretend they are. Think 
you know, that common prayer, Lord, let us be the people we pretend we are. And someone told me, you got to meet Joe Creech. Because Joe Creech is for real. No. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> what, what is true is I wish you'd been in our... Um, in, Joe, in uh, Jeff's office before we started this morning, Joe was real uncomfortable because of the, the focus on him. And, uh, and Joe was kind of a little nervous. The rest of us were talking about the service. And as we're leaving, as we're getting ready to leave, Joe said, um, <laughs> and this is the idea of, is he for real? Joe says, now, y'all are going to mention Rita and the kids, aren't you? Um, because there was something about him that said, you know, be sure you thank them. Now, of course, we were going to do that. Uh, we were going to mention your all's love for him and your sacrifice. But that's just Joe. As we're leaving to get ready to do the service, he just wanted to make sure that, that people were going to mention his family. Boy, sometimes when you battle with cynicism like I do, when God puts somebody in your life that can, that can, that can battle that, can say no, People do show up and, and they, they do try to be what they're supposed to be. Now, I'm supposed to give you a charge. I'm supposed to speak to the congregation. And I just want you to know God's given you leaders here that can help you battle against your battle with cynicism. That, that there, there are people here that, uh, there are people here that you can trust. Well, that means it won't be perfect. Of course not. They'll make mistakes and, and they'll... They'll sometimes frustrate you at times, but they're, but they're good people who really do love Jesus. Now, I was going to look at a verse with you quickly. In Hebrews, the end of Hebrews, after the book of Hebrews deals with all the important theological issues, and it's a theologically rich book, and the last chapter just deals with the more personal things, and it has a couple of chapters about leadership. I'm going to look at one verse with you that is going to be our charge it says, have confidence in your leaders, chapter 13, verse 17. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who have to give account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. Now, there's two things in that passage for Joe. And there's two things in that passage for us. Now, the first for, for Joe is the idea, it talks about leaders who keep a watch, and Jeff talked about shepherding, and that, that same image that to be a good leader is someone who's going to be a shepherd, who, who at night's going to be thinking about the sheep. Many of us in this room, it's our families that keep us up at night, or maybe our finances, or, or something like that, but the kind of leader that, that we're talking about here, what keeps them up at night is often us. The church, their sheep. And so Joe, he does that. Second thing it says, it says that there's, a, there's an idea that because he'll be held account, it's a, it's a serious business to be a pastor. It's a serious business to be a shepherd because you're ultimately required to do things that you have no real control over. That he can't make you more spiritual. He can't make you love Jesus anymore. That's... That's really God's work. He can just be faithful. And in a world that measures success by nickels and noses and, and by noise, God measures success of pastors by faithfulness. And so I would say from this passage, from this passage in Hebrews, that I can tell you because I know, I know these men, but I know Joe. And he, he fits what's required in that. He thinks of you. He's up at night like a shepherd would be for a sheep thinking of you all. And he knows the seriousness of the task. But then it says something about what we need to be about, what our charge should be, how you and I should treat them. And it says, it says the word in many of your translations will say obey. That can be per translated to listen, to obey, to yield to, to trust, have confidence in. There's lots of ways that can be translated. Have confidence in your leaders or obey your leaders. And then it says, submit to their authority. Now, Jeff's already talked about authority. And, 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 and this is not blind trust or 
this is the, the, the Bible's too is aware that leadership's never perfect. But there is a sense of, of, of to be under his authority. Trust him. Have confidence in him. That's the first thing it would say. And then it says an interesting thing. At the end, it says, you're supposed to do this so that you don't make their work a burden. Now, I talk to a lot of pastors as a counselor, and so many of them, I had a pastor not that long ago just simply say to me, He's in his 50s. He said, I can't do this till I'm 65. Another pastor who, oh, <laughs> Steve Brown always says, there's not a problem in a church that can't be solved with a funeral. And when, <laughs> and when he, I remember once I, I worked at a school years ago and one of the guys came up to me and said, this would be a great job if it wasn't for all these kids. <laughs> and what they're getting at is sometimes the very people you're called to make your ministry more difficult. And your charge is to not do that. Your charge is to treat Joe, treat the leadership in such a way that it's not a burden to them, but a joy to them to serve you. That, you're, that, that you, you deal with them with, with, the kind, with kindness and with encouragement in such a way that they don't, feel that the great calling they've been given to this church is, is more of a burden than a privilege. Now, it is a dance of terror and privilege to, to pastor. They know that. But you've got a task. You've got a task to encourage them. You know, most pastors, when they come to me and talk about their lives, they're lonely. They're discouraged. People don't believe their vision. They're always having to convince people, and nobody understands the pressure they feel, and if they were gone from their home as much as most pastors are gone from their home, they, they, their wife would have left them. And so what I want us to do today is, is to make a commitment to be people who don't make it harder for them to serve you, specifically for Joe to serve you. I want you to encourage him. It can be lonely doing what they do. I want you to encourage him. I want you to support him. That's both financially, emotionally. It's really awkward to be, to be supported financially by a church. It's really awkward because everybody knows what you make. Every time you buy something, you wonder if people are going to think, well, they're not using their money well. They're not being good stewards. Very seldom people ask you that when you buy something. Make sure you're supporting them emotionally, financially. You're encouraging them. And one thing that I'll tell you right now that would really encourage Joe is if you don't let him become your surrogate spiritual person in life so that you don't say, well, we support Joe and he goes on mission field. We support Joe and he cares about people all over the place. Joe doesn't want to be your surrogate spiritual man. He wants you to fall in love with Jesus and for you to go for you to be excited about missions, for you to be excited about spiritual life. A lot of times we do that with our leaders. We kind of go, well, they're doing that. They're praying. I don't need to. You know, they're studying the Bible. I don't need to. Well, I've got this kind of job and I don't, I don't need to really, I don't have the freedom to go and, and, and go on a mission trip or I don't have freedom to do this or freedom to do that. And I tell you, it would really encourage Joe is if he knew that you were becoming more like Jesus, and that you were feeling a calling to mission, and you were feeling the kind of calling he has, because that's what it means to honor your leaders. And so, it's a great passage in Hebrews. It's really even almost kind of funny. It's essentially a translation that would say, Take seriously your, your pastors. Obey and submit to their authority because they stay up really late at night thinking about you and it's a big deal. They'll be held accountable for how they lead. And don't make it any harder on them. Try not to be so obnoxious <laughs> and love them and support them. That's not the original Greek, but that's a, that's a pretty good uh, understanding of that passage. And so Joe... 
I thank you personally for helping me with my struggle with cynicism. Because when I look at you, I look at your family. Um, it makes me want to be a better Christian, as it does the rest of these people who are charged this day to encourage him, to support him, and to live for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the great and grand privilege of, of being in a family. We thank you that you've installed Joe as, as a leader. I pray that you would have us take seriously what it means to encourage and support and to love. We do thank you for the leaders here at Orangewood. We thank you that they can help us with our cynicism. And we can follow them as they follow you. We thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, and we're going to lay hands on Joe and pray for him. Uh, Mike Ebert is going to pray. I'm going to ask Joe, Joe, bring the whole family up here. Let me ask you again. It's not a solo effort. Come on, Rita, you love the spotlight, just like my wife, Katie, but you have stood by this man. Sarah Jane's been on our staff. Jonathan and David, Joseph, Sadie, Tanya, Isabella, and Maya. Mia. Mia. Man, I'm close. All right. Um, I, I'm getting claustrophobic in here. Uh, <laughs> Joe, it's been such an honor and a privilege. Uh, as we lay hands on you, as we do in our, our denomination and upon your family, uh, to say we love you. Thanks for pointing us to Jesus. And Mike, if you'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for what you have done in the life of Joe. Um, just his testimony of coming to you, your great faithfulness, to draw him to yourself, uh, to keep him walking with you in high school, college, the choices that he made. And Father, these 28 years that uh, we celebrate, uh, they were done uh, one day at a time, moment by moment, uh, simply abiding in you, um, as he has shared with many of us. Um, just his weaknesses that, that he has to walk with you day by day, that he needs uh, the abiding power of your Holy Spirit, just like we do. He is a model of that for us. And thank you for how you have uh, used him to encourage us. You have used him, as Pastor Green mentioned, just as um, an opening of channels for ministry that you have designed each of us for um, both here and then, of course, in many places overseas. Lord, we um, are just privileged for your care for us that is done through um, just normal, ordinary people. That's how you work. And uh, thank you so much for Joe these 28 years. We look forward to 28 plus more years. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.